while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Turn your uh, mic on. Did they change the mics? They may have. Don't 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 blame yourself, Marcus. Um, it's got to be somebody else. It's definitely somebody else. But why don't you grab that one? Can you grab that one? Is that working? Ted, are you on? Testing. One, two, one, two, one, two. Ted is on. Hello. You've already cut Chris's mic? He hasn't said right. anything controversial yet. Nothing yet. <laughs> so, um, why don't we do this? Chris, why don't you come over, I think maybe come over here. Yeah, we'll, fix, we'll, do that. we'll fix that because uh, I don't know why this isn't working. Weird, right? It is weird. weird. It's definitely weird and we'll, we'll figure it out at the break. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to... <laughs> How's hey, your electrician skills? We, we we get the TV guy in, and now our mics aren't working. Oh, I mean, our, believe me, I can tell you stories. Our cameras collide sometimes. I, I uh, no shame, no shame. So, it's live. <laughs> yeah. So we're here with uh, we're here with Ted Nisi from Channel Twelve WPRI. Hey, Ted, thanks for joining us in studio. Oh yeah, I've wanted to do this for a long time, guys. So I love coming down in person. So, Ted. Um, uh, I know a lot of people in this audience listen to uh, watch WPRI. I watch WPRI. Actually, after the show, every night I watch WPRI. And um, you have a program called Newsmakers. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, Newsmakers, it's been on since 1979, actually. Uh, and Tim White's been on the whole time. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's listening. But uh it's our weekend, you know, it's our Sunday public affairs show. you got them on the networks. you got them on uh, local uh, stations. And, you know, it's uh, Tim's been the host. Uh, Tim White, my colleague, has been the host, I think, since 08 or 09. And then I was added around 2011. And so we've been doing it together a good decade. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's about as standard of Sunday politics shows you can get. We try to book someone interesting every week from yeah. Rhode Island or southeastern Massachusetts and uh, ask the questions people want to hear an answer to. Try to press for answers. Some weeks we do uh, political roundtables. We obviously do debates. Um, we've done uh, debates for mayor. Uh, we did a sheriff debate, right. just as you guys did uh, for Bristol County. So um, we really try to – we just try to keep it interesting. And uh, last week, for example, we had the incoming mayor of Providence, Brett Smiley, Great was on. Great interview, yeah. Uh, which, which was – interesting you know we like i i do i like and again someone who's listening to this show is clearly going to be somebody who also likes longer form conversations yeah. and there aren't a lot of spots in local tv news where you can talk at length right it's, yeah. it's short packages and everything so newsmakers uh is really our opportunity to do that so we're on our best showing sunday at 10 a.m but it's on a bunch of times over the weekend you can always watch the whole thing on wpri.com and you can also subscribe to it as a podcast so we're here with Ted Nisi uh, from Channel 12 WPRI. Uh, can you tell us a little bit? You had you had a great interview with the incoming mayor Brett Smiley. Uh, interesting guy, real like. 
policy guy, which like you say, well, he's the mayor. He should be. But, you know, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Right. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're always trying to have who's kind of like who's next. Who do we want to hear from today or who are we going to want to hear from tomorrow when we're thinking about who to book on the show? And, you know, Providence is getting a new mayor for the first time in eight years. Jorge Alors is on his way out due to term limits. Uh, So we had Brett Smiley. and And Brett Smiley is an interesting guy. I mean, he is. He is not, you know, obviously the prototypical Providence mayor is Buddy Cianci, larger than life, colorful. Uh, He did have a part of him that was a policy wonk, but it was all about the showmanship with him. Brett, with all respect, I don't think Brett himself would argue he is, um, you know, a Buddy Cianci type of figure. Brett is a wonky guy. He uh, is low key. He's in the policy weeds. He was staff. Not a Buddy Cianci figure. uh, Yeah, in in, in many ways, uh, obviously. But, um, you know, Brett is coming into, you know, a challenging situation in Providence because Providence has been a challenging situation for a long time. I mean, the city has a billion dollar pension shortfall that is just appears close to unsolvable um, because they've tried a million different policies and none of them have taken. And that's really it's such a dry topic, uh, the policy shortfall, uh, the pension shortfall. But it every year it eats a little more of the city's budget and the ability to fund other things like the parks like the schools everything else so he's got that obviously still trying to figure out you know what is the city like in a post-covid era what does that mean for tax revenue what do people want the schools are currently under state control which is obviously very controversial um and just trying to figure out you know what is the role of a smaller city in this era, how can it thrive? Um, you know, Providence isn't Boston. It's not as big. Yeah. It doesn't have as many economic engines. Uh, and so all those challenges facing Brett Smiley as he comes in. Yeah, that Superman buildings uh, in Providence been, has been vacant for 10 years now, right? Bank of America right. was there. They moved out. And they still haven't found a use for it. And they still haven't agreed upon a use for it. And it's the... It's like the landmark of the city. It's in the skyline. It's argue. It might be the the building in the skyline in it's Family Guy. It's, it's a start of Family Guy. It's <laughs> yeah. in Family Guy. It's in Family right. Guy. It's, well, and they do, I, they, there is an update there. They have an agreement in principle to turn it into apartments, mostly apartments. The bottom floors would be mixed use and housing and or mixed use and restaurants and things. Um, Two hundred twenty something million dollars and a big share of that publicly funded because. Officials say, developers say that you're just never going to get the private sector to rehab that whole building. It's just too. It's an interesting thing, actually. So it was it was a bank building, and so the floor plan is for a bank in the 1920s, which is wow. a very different floor plan yeah. for apartments in right. the 2020s. Right. <laughs> yeah, so right. it's a it's an even bigger rehab than it looks because you want to change the uses of each floor, not even just you know put put new drywall down and paint everything or, or something like that. So. You know, they they're, they were supposed to begin demolition for that project by the end of this month. They say they're going to. Uh, they've gotten a bunch of their approvals. But, you know, we've seen in other projects locally, the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium, for example, that's yeah. also being proposed. Inflation and supply shortages have, have really thrown a monkey wrench into some of those plans. So I do want to see, you know, do the numbers they thought would work last spring hold for this Superman building project. But obviously, you know, people... Uh, I think generally, I think it's been a, you know, even if people disagree on what should happen to it, I don't think anyone's been very happy to see literally Rhode Island's tallest building decaying, dark, empty for an entire decade. Right. So, Ted, you have a really interesting piece today. You broke some news about uh, Joe Kennedy. Mm. Uh, Joe Kennedy, of course, did very well around here in the Democrat primary ran for U.S. Senate. He he represented Bristol County in in, in Congress. Uh, This audience likes him. 
uh, is very familiar with him. Talk a little bit about, about this, the story that you broke tonight. Yeah, so I, I've been picking up a little chatter. Uh, you know, I keep an eye on Joe. Uh, obviously, he, he lost that primary to marking pretty decisively, about 10 points, I think, in statewide, right? Mar- points, Marcus, yeah. you always remember, yeah. Um, and, but he's also a Kennedy, and he's, right. a, you know, even apart from his family name, he's Joe's an impressive guy. He's only 42. Right. So wondering what he'd do next. And uh, started to pick up some chatter about him being the new uh, U.S. envoy to Northern Ireland, yeah. which is something that's been out of the news for a long time. But with Brexit out in the U.K., it's become much more fraught again Absolutely. over there yep. and, you know, the diplomatic issues in the EU and everything else. So uh, actually, Congressman Keating here in New Bedford and on the Cape has been pushing Biden to appoint an envoy because that job's been empty uh, and and Keating chairs the committee that oversees Europe policy in the House and now I'm not saying Keating said and picked Joe Kennedy I don't know um you know what maybe they like, did. They like each other yeah. I, I know that because I was at I was at an event with them sometime earlier this year or last year uh and Kennedy had given a speech it was after he'd left he'd given a speech and Keating just turns and goes Man, I miss you. You know, like <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. Right? They, they do like each other. I know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to see if he gets to the point of what statement Ed Markey puts out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's on right. the Foreign Affairs Committee yes. too, Ed Markey. So that's interesting. But that aside, um, so I, I started to make some calls to folks in folks in Massachusetts, some folks in Washington. I thought might know something. I'm not going to claim like you know the, the Ron Klain at the White House told me Ed said it's true. You can go with it or anything right. like that. But certainly got a sense that this there's something to this. There's a lot of people talking about it. No one tried to kill it. No one tried to kill it okay. exactly. Um, and Kennedy's people were quite quiet. Usually, if you have a story that's way off base, someone you've been covering as long as that would say like Ted, you don't, you don't want it. this dog isn't going to hunt as right, they say. Right. Right. Um, again, not saying it's going to definitely happen. But just that there's something there. Um, the other thing is, like, to give credit where it's due, uh, there's a website. I think it's irishcentral.com. Yes. A website that covers Irish affairs, which it seems very plugged in, uh, reported he is the heavy favorite um, to get the job. And, this, you know, I don't know a ton about the website. I just know whenever something related to Ireland comes up, they seem very well plugged in. So the fact that they're saying it only added to my sense that there's something here. So I'm curious to see if, if he actually gets a job. And, of course, the Kennedy family, I'll tell you in Massachusetts, very involved in Irish affairs. Over the <laughs> last a little known decades. fact about the Kennedys—they're right. Irish. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. right. And uh, and we're also worth noting: Jean Kennedy Smith mm. was the ambassador to Ireland in the uh, Clinton uh, era, and she's the one that had originally came up with that um, basically peace agreement between Northern Ireland and Ingr- uh, England mm. in the in the mid '90s. And now, because of Brexit, all of that is sort of starting to to decay a bit. So it it kind of makes sense. It seems like a good fit. I also got to recommend to your listeners, who I sure include plenty of mass political junkies, Mm -hmm. uh, the new John Farrell uh, biography of Ted Kennedy, which came out. It's a one volume bio of him came out just the last couple of months. I just read it and really good, uh, really well done, I thought, capturing the the. The good, the bad, the in-between, et cetera, with Teddy, including Chappaquiddick, you know, but um, also especially talked a lot about his involvement in the 90s and the peace deal, you know, nudging Bill Clinton to get more involved. Gene Kennedy Smith, as you said, her involvement. Just just a good read. uh, Also, just for the picture it paints of Massachusetts politics over so many years. Well, I can remember when I was in college at UMass Amherst and Jerry Adams Mm. came to speak. He'd have a special, like, one-day dispensation from the president. That's right. To even come into the country. Yeah, it was uh, it was um, Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy having right. to convince uh, Bill Clinton, right. you know, to give that out, that it was worth it, and the State Department was very Anglophile and wouldn't right. necessarily want to help these uh, Irish uh, ruffians <laughs> who were trying to <laughs> They were called terrorists. Yeah, so it's a great, uh, it's a great tale. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, now that said, Joe Kennedy 
I mean, he's never been an ambassador or anything. No, it's, that's that's quite, a, it's quite a different job. It's yeah. a very, you know. And I don't think he sat. Did he sit? He didn't sit. On I don't think. No, affairs. I think he was only on energy and commerce. I right. wish the best for him. I supported him, but that's a very difficult job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're talking about a lot of history and a lot of blood. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I I'm still super curious. I mean, there there is a you know seven car pileup of ambitious. Uh, 40 and 30 something Massachusetts politicians who are going to be looking for, you know, to run for Senate, run for governor in the future. And Joe's just, I would say, you know, of course the Kennedy name is helpful, but as we just saw in 2020, not enough. It's not, it's not enough to get you across the finish line for sure. So I think he's got a, he's got his work cut out yeah. for him if he wants to get back into frontline politics. Well, he, I mean, he ran a terrible campaign. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I'm sorry. It's what it came down to. I mean, he, he had, because th with the Kennedy name, I think they they had put out that poll sometime mm -hmm. in the year the a year earlier put out that poll that showed him about like fifteen or so points up from Ed Markey, mm -hmm. and then had that lead and had a fundraising advantage, and absolutely squandered it. I mean, it was it was a disaster of a campaign. Yeah, and and then I think Ed Markey's people ran a great campaign. That, uh, well, exactly conversely, they squeezed every advantage they could. Right, John Walsh. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, John Walsh. I think it's just chief of staff now, who's an excellent campaigner, ran Deval Patrick's campaign. Yep. I don't want to. You take anything away from his campaign, but I think I think even Kennedy would admit uh, admit he squandered some opportunities. I mean, there. I remember I remember being with Kennedy uh, at you know he did his trooping around the first weekend of that campaign. I, I caught up with him in Attleboro at the uh, he did an event in the Albert Arts Museum, and you know he was in a little scrum with me and Jim Hand from the Sun Chronicle and a couple other reporters, and of course. The first, and I mean, shades of Ted Kennedy in 1980, but right. why are you running, Joe? Yes. Why yeah. are you challenging Ed Markey? What's wrong with Ed Markey? Oh, I don't want to talk about Ed Markey, blah, blah, yeah. blah. He, he, he kind of kept hinting at the, like, Markey is absentee, but he didn't want to frontally say it. Right. Um, and I feel like that was the Achilles heel of that whole campaign. He just yeah. couldn't enunciate, other than I'm a Kennedy and I want to be in the Senate. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, no. and, it, and I think there was a, I think it was pretty easy to, to, I think, come up with a, like a pretty simple digestible message about why you want to run. Like, hey, listen, you know, I think, you know, some way saying that I'm a younger guy, I will do a lot more than he, I can do a lot more than he can, you know, in the Senate. Like, I, I think there was ways to do that that he just I, I, didn't I agree. I think and I think a lot of people felt the same way. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, look, I think Ed Mar I, I will say sometimes I think the Kennedy challenge is the best thing ever happened to Ed Markey because he's like him up. 10 times more active yeah, right, as a yes. senator since that race. Well, the the thing is, is I, you know, I, I think Ed Markey's talent, one of his one of his really good political talents is knowing which way the wind is blowing. <laughs> 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 because because I mean, uh, you, you look at look at a guy like Capuano who lost to Presley. Capuano was appreciably more to the left of Ed Markey. Ed Markey was gone, though. He had went to the Senate because the seat was vacated by John Kerry, and Ed Markey had been the longest-serving Congress member at the time, longest-serving member in the entire, you know, the, <laughs> in, he was the dean of the of the, the delegation. And so he had gotten in, and he had understood where the wind was blowing, particularly in the in the neighborhoods that he, or the cities and towns that he would need to win to get re-election, mm -hmm. and he... He he linked up with AOC and he put together that climate deal and he became the climate guy and he became the leftist guy. He started now, wearing Rhode Island Sheldon White House, of course. Uh, you know I can never get either of them to say anything, but I always I think there's a little rivalry there about who is Mr. Climate in the Senate between right. Sheldon White House. Yeah, you, you know Sheldon White House talks about climate. Sheldon White House is always more looking as liberal as his image is. He 
also, I think he he I think he looks to like a Ted Kennedy who had the ability for various reasons to both be a, a very partisan liberal sometimes, right. and then cutting deals with people like Bob Dole and and Orrin Hatch on yes. the other hand. And yes. Sheldon Whitehouse wants to try to be that kind of guy, you know, cut a deal with Dan Sullivan from Alaska and people like that on climate stuff if necess- if he can, while being you know forcefully partisan on other stuff. Whereas Ed Markey, obviously, he was the only. Senator, to just, I believe he was the only one who signed on to the Green New Deal officially. I think you're right. In the Senate. Sheldon Whitehouse, who's also Mr. Climate, wouldn't agree. He wouldn't that. agree. That's right. You guys interviewed him. On yeah. Yes. And yes. it was very striking to me. So it's just, it, it's just a fascinating study in contrast. One thing I've learned over a good, oh God, I've been a reporter. I'm getting old. I've been a reporter <laughs> in this region for, you know, 15-ish years and covering politics pretty closely for 10 plus. And there was a time I thought, well, it's kind of in a way, is it gonna is it gonna be boring to be a political reporter in our region? Because we all know it. Inevitably, you know how the election's probably gonna end. A Democrat's gonna win in, right, right. in Massachusetts. It's just how it usually goes. Of course, mm-hmm. upsets happen, but you kind of know what's probably gonna happen. But it's actually also uh, I've realized that you can a lot of interesting stories are the dynamics within the parties, right? Mm-hmm. So on paper, Sheldon Whitehouse and Ed Markey look close to probably carbon copies, voting for this and that for Biden, you know, voting the right way on the big issues and the views of Democrats. But then you look more closely and say you have two totally different strategies on how to deal with climate yeah. change between these two quite liberal guys from southeastern uh, from southern New England. You right. know, so I, I just find that stuff interesting. The older I get, well, there, there's uh, someone had called in uh, a while back or two weeks ago. I don't know. It all blends together but uh <laughs> Kristen cinema when she decided she was going to switch parties i, t- I t- actually talked to elizabeth warren about it when she was in fall river but um Kristen cinema votes with biden 93 percent of the time mm-hmm. the difference is that seven percent right, uh, right. <laughs> it's a huge seven <laughs> and to get her to a lot of those votes i think is another isn't like because okay she voted for the bipartisan infrastructure uh, infrastructure bill she voted for arpa but not until you had to, you know, uh, basically give in to this like laundry list of demands that she had to make it appreciably more conservative. A carried interest. Yeah, right. right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which yeah. is a real. Which I, I don't see how any Republicans could be for that. It was amazing <laughs> that she was for that. But anyway. So um, let's actually take a break now. Okay. All right. And we'll be back. Joe Kennedy's song. Here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was thematically appropriate. <laughs> Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. Uh, we're here with Chris McCarthy and Ted Nisi of Channel 12 WPRI. So, Ted, um, one of the uh, one of the races that everybody looked at, uh, like had watched very closely, was the Rhode Island Second uh, Congressional mm. District. Alan Fung versus Seth Magaziner. I do want to talk about that just a little bit. Um, I know you you broke it down in newsmakers, but I think you know Seth Magaziner won despite being outside the margin for error and in, in, in polling, and every everybody knowing Alan Fung from his two statewide races. Why do you think it is that that Fung lost that race? Well, uh, first and foremost, because there was not a big red wave like we all thought all over the country. Um, yeah. You know, and even. You know, people might think our region is immune from that sort of thing, but it's really not. If no. there's a swing, yes, around here, that means some, might mean a Republican loses by 10 instead of 15 in some places, Correct. but it still changes what's happening that night. And in a race like that where Fung was so competitive, 
my thinking certainly was that a, a huge anti-democratic swing in the overall national mood. He was the kind of candidate and that was the kind of district. And to remind people, this is Western Rhode Island. So a little bit of Providence, but then Warwick, Cranston, et cetera, all the way down to, to the Connecticut border and Westerly. Um, you know, I thought that would be, and I remember uh, Joe Fleming, who's our longtime pollster and political analyst who calls races with me on channel 12 on election nights. And I are, are standing there and the, the results come in pretty fast in Rhode Island because they have modems in all the uh, election machines, which Common really? Cause Common Cause wants to get rid of because where the Russians are going to hack our election machines. Uh, right, of course. But um, for now, we have the modems, so they come. It comes in <laughs> super fast, like eight fifteen. I've got like sixty percent reporting. Uh, really? Yeah, it's nothing like Taunton, right? Uh, as you <laughs> and the three of yeah. us know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Joe and I are looking as the eight o'clock hour goes on, expecting this close race, but with Fung ahead, and Fung only at first has a narrow edge on the machines that day. We didn't have uh, the mail ballots yet. Then we see that New Hampshire is not swinging toward the Republicans, really. Maggie Hassan was pretty safe when those returns came in. So we said, hmm, okay, so New Hampshire didn't swing hard. So that maybe it's not as Republican a night as we thought. What does that mean here? Right. And then Cranston, which was Alan Fung's hometown, he was mayor there for all those years. We thought yeah. that would be the foundation of his support. Uh, he, he, he only won the city narrowly. And... You know, the reasons for that, you know, I, I don't have a poll, so I won't say whatever it is. Clearly, there isn't as much residual goodwill toward him to overcome how people felt about federal issues in Cranston. Yeah, but right. that was supposed to be kind of the, if you think of a building blocks of an election victory, a big margin in Cranston was kind of supposed to be the foundation. He pulled sure. out of that city and, and and then did well enough everywhere else. When he didn't, he said, uh, and then the mail ballots, we knew Democrats always win the mail ballots nowadays, and we knew the mail ballots were going to go for magazine. Right. So when Fung didn't have a good edge, we said, well, he's going to be sunk when the mail ballots come in. So I think... I think there were uh, Democrats were more vote motivated than we thought. Right. I think uh, I think the Democrats in Rhode Island obviously know how to organize because they're the majority party. They, they yeah. know how to win tough races. That was true in this case. I I know the Republicans were trying with some field operations, but you know you're kind of also starting from scratch more as a Republican campaign because there's just not much Republican infrastructure that carries over cycle to cycle. Right. Whereas the Democrats have you know they're kind of foot soldiers because they're always running a lot of races because they're yeah. the majority party. Right. Um, and I asked Tom Hodgson about that. The, yeah, right. Exactly. Thing. And then I do think too. Uh, in the end, Alan Fung maybe. Uh, I don't know if he was specific enough about his differences with the national Republicans. Trump. Right. right? Trump, as well as Kevin McCarthy. Okay. And, you know, I think I think to win a seat that had been voting Democratic since 1990, even in a maybe tougher year for Democrats, um, he, he might have wanted some more very clear things where he was breaking with the national Republicans yeah. that, you know, I think of Jared Golden up in Maine who had that ad that went viral late in the campaign where it was like 60, he's a Democrat and it was like 60 seconds of where I disagree with Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he was trying to tell the people of Maine, I'm not claiming I'm not a Democrat, right. but I'm, I'm, I'm not just a, a rubber stamp for Biden yeah. and Fung, right. while he would say, I'm not a national Republican. He wasn't putting as much meat on the bones with that. Um, you know, he'd say like, well, I'm for gay marriage now, but a lot of Republicans are for gay sure. marriage. You know, he wouldn't, uh, come out in full support of the January 6th committee. Uh, I just think he got sort of betwixt in between. And there was that, there was that clip that I thought that was pretty brutal in the, um, uh, the pro magaziner pack was like where he kept on saying, I'm not running for Trump. I think it was a radio mm-hmm. interview. He did. Yes. I'm not running yep. for Trump. And then it was a picture of him with the yep. Trump hat and all it was of that. It's on the Globes, so. Rhode Island podcast. He said that um, yeah. there was another one where, uh, I mean, it's, it's one funny thing. Uh, 
being in television is you you learned to, I remember the first time I ever saw myself in an attack ad right. in 2014 <laughs> and you see you know my I actually was a little disappointed my wife Kim Clooney who's an anchor at 12 and Tim White were in a lot more attack ads than me this year I got I got to sharpen my questions yeah. right? I'm not getting, I'm not generating any attack ads but Tim White on Newsmakers when Fung was on said to him directly you know, yes or no, will you support Kevin McCarthy for speaker? And Fung said something like, I'm not running away from that Republican, or I'm not, I'm going to support that Republican leadership. And that was played like ad nauseum in a in an attack ad. Um, and I also heard from some Republicans who were disappointed in, they felt like the attacks on Magaziner from the National Republican PACs, um, people down here probably saw like the ads with, he had like a martini glass oh, yeah. and like yeah. Mr. Rich Kid. Yes. yes. Yeah. They felt that that uh, wasn't enough. Definitely a template ad, right? Yes, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. Sub the names out, and yeah. um, it's a Seth Magazine ad. And I think there were Republicans who felt like there were more Rhode Island-specific attacks on Magaziner or issues they could have gone on, and that it was, it was as you say, Marcus, cookie cutter. Um, but, you know, the other thing is a losing campaign, there's always 50 reasons they lost in a winning campaign. You know, you yeah, right. flip it around, it's only four points. Right, so yeah. uh, I, I do just also think... And again, I think you. I think we all talked about it when I was on with you guys at midnight that night. Right. I just think that Republicans are in an even more dire environment Absolutely. in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, than maybe we even thought. Seeing Tom Hodgson go down in Bristol yeah. County, seeing Alan Fung not be able to seal the deal. I mean, you know, who who's the next man up, to, so to speak, in places like that? There's no Republican who would run as strong as Fung just did in Rhode right. Island for a federal race. Hodgson had the benefit of three decades of incumbency and couldn't yeah. hold on. Um, I, I don't know. I just but think they also had two county seats in the Cape that flipped too. That's right. Yeah. And the, the DA's office. The DA's right? office. Yeah, I had them both on. And and what I mean, uh, and, and and the state the state rep race is up in the northern part of the state uh, where Lenny Mira was just ousted by one vote. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the other one, the other seat that was long held by Republicans, it was a seven vote difference. Right. And apparently Lyons, Jim Lyons, the chair of the GOP, was encouraging people to write in another candidate. There were 68 <laughs> write-ins. Well, I don't know. I'm curious he what Chris it. thinks, because like, you've watched this all a long time. Well, I mean, it, you know, you're not so, expecting people not to be a Republican, but you've got to find a way to be a Republican that can win with the majority. So Jim Lyons and the Republican Party, they, they, you know, there's a big difference between what happened in Rhode Island and what happened in Massachusetts. Mm. I mean, Massachusetts, they destroyed themselves. Yeah. Uh, nominating Jeff Deal, who's a horrible candidate. Yeah. Um, Charlie Baker leaving. Yep. Right. I mean, the big question is, what does Charlie Baker do next? Mm -hmm. Does he do anything? Mm -hmm. Does he come back? Does he does he reclaim this broken party? Or does he want to? Does he want to? Right. Because yeah. do you have to put up with a with a jihad? The, the foolishness, <laughs> really, really, uh, the, the, within the party, or are you better off just going off and making millions of dollars? Yeah, because fundamentally, to your point, Chris, you know, at a basic level, it goes to what is politics for, right? And and I think, uh, you know, I think the people who are practical about it say politics is for winning elections so you yes. can do the things you want to do. Right. And then you yeah. try to not do things people hate because then they vote you out and you can't do any more things. You know, it's just right. that. And clearly... Obviously, Jim Lyons and that wing of the Republican Party said, no, for us, politics is about being aligned with where we, with the national Republicans the way we want to be, even if it means deep sixing yes. the most popular governor. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I think Charlie Baker would have won if he ran again. He would have definitely won. I don't think Maura Healy Maura Healy, the Maura Healy says, basically said so by waiting to see what he's going right. to do. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the new governor and basically admitted it by now, do you think? Do you think, Chris, do you think he would have won the Republican primary if he ran? 
Um, mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The, the hesitation from both. Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. he would have probably in the end he would have won it. But mm. would it have been war? In other words, yeah. it would have been such a bloodbath mm -hmm. probably to to win it. Um, he would have had to go through the convention. It would have been all of that yep. stuff. And I just think he was done with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really I think do. it's it, like it's all that's beneath the sitting two-term governor who has the highest approval rating in the whole <laughs> right. country. Right? right, to run around the state all summer pleading with people not to sw swap him out for Jeff Deal and trying yeah. to... I also think, you know what it reminds me of when you say that, uh, Chris, reminds me of 2006 in Rhode Island when Lincoln Chafee was still a Republican, was a mm -hmm. U.S. senator, and the, the national Republicans were desperate for him to stay because they knew he was their only hope of keeping that seat Republican. Yeah. But he got Steve Laffey challenged him from the right and then right. had... Valid issues, you know, the Iraq war, stuff like that. But fundamentally, that only bloodied and weakened Chafee, and then Sheldon Whitehouse Sheldon won Whitehouse the seat by him. six or seven points. Uh, so to that point, um, you wonder if the Democrats are going to have a primary for the U.S. Senate here mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. You wonder. I don't know. Um, I pick up rumors, too, but I'm skeptical. Right? Yeah. Does Baker then step in there to run as a Republican after a wounded Repo hmm. Democrat? I don't know. I have trouble imagining it. But no, I, I don't think he'd like to be in the Senate anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. he's more of a governor. Same with Gina Raimondo. People right? always say, oh, she's going to run for Senate someday. I don't think she'd like being a senator. I think she'd make a hell of a presidential candidate. <laughs> so does she. Really? No. <laughs> Kim Kalunian asked her that if she, she was did. running. Yeah, in that interview. Um, and she didn't rule it out. Right? Mm -hmm. Marty Walsh more or less did. Yeah. 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 But Marty, had, Marty Walsh, it's, Kim uh, had Marty Walsh and Gina Raimondo together right around Thanksgiving because they were in Providence for an event. And <laughs> Marty Walsh said... Uh, if she does run, Gina Romano wins. I want a big, high-paying job for her. Which <laughs> yeah, exactly. Line. Hey, listen, let's take a break. If you want to join in, you can at 508-996-0500. I know we've got some app chat messages. We'll, we'll get to those after the break. 1420 WBSM, where freedom of speech lives. This week, your voice heard right now on South Coast Tonight. Call 508-996-0500 or send an app chat message on the WBSM app. Now, back to Chris and Marcus. Got caught up in the off-air podcast. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't have... To, so we have an off-air podcast. It's kind of like the Nixon tapes. And um, you're, you're on it. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, yep. so uh, Ted, you, you mentioned Lincoln Chafee. Uh, mm. the, the, his, the enduring legacy of Lincoln Chafee is going to be him on the presidential debate stage. Oh, God. Uh, explaining away a bad vote by saying, it was a bad week. My dad just died. Uh, yeah. With the, uh, I think it was Glass-Steagall repeal. Yeah, I think he'd only been... <laughs> there two days yes. um and i and like it's true right um, you know <laughs> yeah in fairness to link but uh obviously not necessarily what people are expecting from someone yeah. putting himself forward as a as a potential president of the united states um link's out in wyoming now really he's a registered voter out there i think he looked at he might have looked at running for something out there don't quote me on that but he, he's been a little involved in in politics i think he's a libertarian now. i think he's left the Democratic Party as well. Well, because he was a Republican, then he was governor as an independent, and then he ran as, on the Democratic ticket, yep. or he ran for a day, basically. He was, had that one debate with Anderson Cooper, so now he's a libertarian? I believe that's correct. Okay, yes, that, I haven't talked to him in a while. So that kind of makes sense to me. Like Bill Weld. Yeah, but hey, more when nobody else place. wants you, become a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> right? right exactly. They've got ballot access. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Ted, now we have a new governor coming into Massachusetts. You'll yep. be following this very closely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting thing about her. She didn't run really on what she was going to do, <laughs> just that she wasn't deal, mm -hmm. yeah. which, which, is, which is a valid campaign strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Obviously. <laughs> a successful one, yeah. Right, very successful. But 
What do you think she's going to do? Well, uh, Marcus and I were with her. Um, what was that? A couple days after the primary, Marcus, when she came down to New Bedford and yes. with Kim Dris- with Driscoll. Yes. And the the word that stuck with me was affordable. Making Massachusetts affordable. And I know Jeff Deal did talk about that as well. But I do think. Whether she's, but that was a highly personal conversation. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think, and I think it goes for Rhode Island too, right? I think the the like macro, big picture challenge of these two states is they're just too damn expensive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, there's. I always try to remind people. You know, people get understandably get frustrated, even more so in Rhode Island. I think about like, oh, everything sucks, and you know, I'm so mad about this, I'm so mad about that, and everything's so expensive, and I can't find a house. And I, I do always try to remind people, the housing wouldn't be so expensive if people didn't want to. There is too much demand to live in these places. That's exactly right. It, Which right. is a lot better than being like Idaho. Nothing Absolutely. against Idaho, but right. like, it doesn't seem like they, they, they're out of space there. No, absolutely. It is going to just get harder and harder to afford to live in these place in these two states without some very big changes, probably in how people think. And from the top, I think about, you know, first and foremost, housing. I've just come to believe that housing and I'm not just talking about low income housing, housing across the income spectrum is like the root issue, arguably, of so much else in these. I mean, Rhode Island right now is having this crisis about the homeless encampment in front of the state house. Yes. Day after day, they're in the court about it. The governor's trying to find shelter beds. But I was, there was a great piece in The Atlantic today pointing out that, you know, home, homelessness, the way we experience it now, is really a blue state problem. These pla- it's states that have far more social services than a, than a red state like Texas or whatever. And it, at root, when they do the studies and the academics look at it, it's because there just isn't housing. And by definition, if you, if you can't find housing, you are without housing, you are homeless. And right. luckily, most of us don't end up there. I mean, we might end up with a worse apartment than we want when we're young or can't buy the house we want, et cetera. But the people at the bottom rung of the housing ladder, they end up in a, can- a tent at the state house. And right. so- long-winded answer, but to go back to your question, I do think, I have to think that's going to have to be top of mind for Healy and her people, but the resistance to building more housing, especially in Eastern Massachusetts, um, you know, the amount of money seemingly needed to make the MBTA more functional uh, and the appetite to do that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you could imagine where she could end up a little bit adrift. Yes. Um, and so I, I am curious when she puts more meat on the bones to see, you know, does she have big initiatives in January and February? What, what, yeah, what specifics does she want well, to Well, she has been, had the benefit because she hasn't had to run a competitive campaign right. since 2014 right. of being so nonspecific, like mm-hmm. so incredibly nonspecific. <laughs> right. I mean, I just, every, like, you know, when we get a chance to talk to her, it's always just like, yeah, we're going to do a lot to make Massachusetts great. You know, and it's yep. like, okay. How? Like, we're going to do this. And it's like, okay, how? And then it's just like, oh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, you know? she's, she's very, you know, we, uh, we were also with her in Taunton, right? And it's it was yeah. very motherhood and apple pie, you know? And like, <laughs> right. yes, I, I think every most Massachusetts voters I, probably agreed I'm, Massachusetts is good. And yes. like, having a house and health care is good. Like, right. But that in the end, that's not a bill. You don't write a bill that says like, housing is now available in Massachusetts. Like, you have to make really difficult policy decisions. <laughs> yes. And she has to do it 
unfortunately for her, she has no Republican foil. Great point. To point at to say that's the reason my policy is failing. Didn't even have failing. Tom Hodgson anymore. Well, exactly. Well, that, that <laughs> right. was the um, right. Right. That was I, I asked her that question. Like, are you just here? Camp- like, are you really campaigning for yourself? You're just campaigning for yes, Carol Doherty, yeah, right? Like, because yeah. that's really what she was doing. She was spending her time doing is making sure her friends in the down ballot races were winning, so the Democrats could, I guess, have an even stronger electoral foothold. And by the way, probably. Look in our backyard. I, probably successfully. I don't know if Hodge, uh, Hodge, if Hero wins that race. It was so close without Healy's ticket running strong. Oh, Hero, right. Hero, Hero, when I had Hero in studio uh, a couple weeks ago, he admitted basically. Yeah, everything went the right way. Yeah, right? Right. Yeah, everything right. broke his way. Yep. Everything he goes if if one of those things didn't happen, like if the money didn't come in, if Healy wasn't at the top of the ticket, if my campaign didn't work, you know, if I didn't have a great staff, mm-hmm. if none of those, if all those things didn't break my way, I don't win this election. He, if he, Charlie he was Baker had been it. the governor, <laughs> right? Yeah, forget yeah. about it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So I, that's, you know, I think obviously Mar Healy's very smart. I think she comes in. I was, well, I guess I don't know if she exactly comes in. She comes in with a personal mandate, right. like you know, people like her. Clearly, yes. but yeah. but without having some specifics, you asked for you can't. She, how is she going to tell Beacon Hill leaders? Well, I have a mandate for this. Diff- I, I remember like mandate for I was young, but I remember 07, pa- Deval Patrick comes in, and what was it? Weeks of the curtains in the state yes. house, and yeah. all. The, I remember as a young cub reporter at the Sun Chronicle calling then State Senator Scott Brown and the rest right. of our delegation right. about like this big Deval Patrick initiative that's running into turbulence on Beacon Hill. I mean, that's going to... It'll be very interesting to see how she handles that. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. The news, the news breaks. <laughs> I know my here. wife is listening, so I if you have, to, you'll have to do the next diaper change. If you ever want to ask a, a real live TV star a question, you can at 508-996-0500. We've got messages on the app chat that we'll get to after the break, too. Um, so stay tuned. You know, actually, it's a little bit early. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was go. like I kind of like we were like the conversation was going. I'm like, okay, this is a good time to end it. And then I'm like, wait, I actually still have another 10, 11, 12, 13 seconds. So okay. I just what I'm doing is I'm filibustering the I've time. I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. We all done the it. first yeah. time. I'm watching your clock, Marcus. Don't worry. I, the first time I ever hosted a TV show, I was so nervous about hitting the post, the the the, the break, that I ended a minute early. And my producer did not know what to do. Notice he said the first time, Marcus. Yeah. 